there had been abuse in my family, uh, but it was mostly musical in nature. Are you ready to get your world rocked? Ready! Are you ready to get your mind blown? Do it! One, two, three, four! Sometimes artists release a perfect debut album and then never return to the recording studio again. I'm Greg Cott. And I'm Jim DeRogatis. We share our favorite one-and-done artists, and later, we review Drunk, the new record from bassist and singer Thundercat. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions. This is Sound Opinions, and Greg, later in the show, we're going to have some fun uh, fleshing out an idea you had. Great albums by great bands that only gave us one album and then disappeared forever into the ether. One and done is what we're calling it. Uh, But first, we have some big music news. You've been all over it for the Chicago Tribune. Coming out of South by Southwest, we're going down to Texas next week. We always look forward to it. We see hundreds of bands, literally, come back and share uh, the results of our expedition with our listeners over the course of the year to come. But there's a controversy that's been brewing even before the festival starts this year. True, Jim. Uh, With a story that has national and international implications, uh, a quarter of the bands that play at South by Southwest, there are about 2,200 bands to play there every year, uh, come from overseas, from 67 countries last year. So what we are seeing is a controversy about the language in its performance agreement with the these bands that states that if the band acts in ways that adversely affect the viability of the artist's official South by Southwest showcase, the South by Southwest conference will notify the appropriate U.S. immigration authorities of these violations. Wow. Now, this language has been in the contract for a number of years, but in light of the recent extreme vetting that is being imposed by the Trump administration uh, against immigrants to the, in this country, uh, this contract clause has taken on renewed interest in the artist community, and several artists raised their hand and said, wait a minute, I'm not going to play this festival under the imposition of this contract language. But you may rat out a foreign visitor to this country, a foreign artist, to the feds. A lot of these artists come to South by Southwest and they play their one or two official South by Southwest shows. But in addition to that, they schedule one, two, maybe a dozen, maybe two dozen additional gigs in order to help pay their way. Most of these bands can barely afford that trip. So any extra money that they can make to help pay their way is a good thing. South by Southwest was getting tired of these bands in competition with their official showcases and saying, hey, we can we can come down on you if we catch you playing these gigs. Yeah, but the bands need it. I mean, you and I have seen bands from from Tuva, for God's sake, mm-hmm. throat singers. You know? I mean, they traveled like in an airplane for 20 hours to get here. Uh, you want them to be able to play in front of as many people as possible. Now, to their credit, South by Southwest came back a few days later and said, you know what, guys, we were wrong. We're going we're to revive this language. It doesn't look good for obvious reasons. They issued a statement in the last couple of days with, that said, with the announcement of President Trump's latest travel ban, South by Southwest would like to reaffirm its public opposition to these executive orders and provide ongoing support to the artists traveling from foreign countries to our event. They said that we will change the language in our artist invitation letter and performance agreement for 2018 and beyond, and they're going to remove the option of notifying immigration authorities in situations 
situations where a for, foreign artist might adversely affect the viability of their showcase. Greg, obviously the political climate is going to weigh over all of South by Southwest. It'll be interesting to see how else it's felt. Uh, I know where I'm going to be Friday night. I don't often make plans in advance, but on the 17th, there is the uh, Music of Band Nations showcase, and there are going to be artists performing from Iran, Somalia, Libya, Syria. Uh, I, I think that's fascinating. Taking place on St. Patrick's Day. Important to remember, once our Irish ancestors were vilified as immigrants. <laughs> So, Greg, we're going to highlight uh, what we've been calling some one-and-done artists now. This is an idea you had. What inspired this? So, Jim, the idea was the last few months I'd come across a couple of records where I realized, hey, wait a minute, this is the only studio album that this artist ever officially released in their career. Why did we never hear from them again? I mean, we heard from them again, but they never made another studio album to follow up that first masterpiece. So it struck me that there's got to be a few examples of this. Well, lo and behold, there's dozens of them, and you and I are going to highlight uh, some of our favorites. I'm going to start us off with one of the most obvious ones, in a way, Lauren Hill has made only one solo studio album, and that was a monster. It came out in 1998, The Miseducation of Lauryn Hill. Remember that she was the young, rising star, a member of uh, a a great hip-hop group named the Fugees, um, which had considerable success in the 90s, went off and made a solo record uh, at the age of 23. It was released when she was 23 years old in 1998. And it was a remarkable album, a, a coming-of-age album uh, in which she addressed a number of, of serious topics, the breakup of the Fugees, her, her personal parting of ways with uh, Wycliffe Jean, her partner in, in the Fugees, the birth of her son Zion, who was mm. uh, name-checked in one of the song titles. Really a statement about what it means to be a woman of color, trying to forge your identity and independence in a world that often denies any of that to a person like that. You know, you see the template now in this record for what Beyonce is now. I think Lauryn Hill could have had that kind of career had she continued to make music. And sporadically, we would hear from Lauryn Hill over the years. There was that sort of uh, half-hearted live album that she put out, an acoustic record of songs in progress. It was never considered an official album. It was widely uh, derided by critics as as being uh, a not fully formed effort. It certainly wasn't. She seemed to be in disarray. This was highlighted by the sad uh, business that she had with the IRS. You know, she pleaded guilty to tax evasion in 2012, served a three-month prison sentence in 2013. It's sort of been a sad public decline for Lauryn Hill in recent decades, despite the masterpiece that she created in 1998. Here's a track from The Miseducation of Lauryn Hill, uh, a record that not only highlighted uh, Lauryn Hill's talents, but the talents of her friends from that generation, artists like D'Angelo and Mary J. Blige guested on this record, and a then-unknown piano player by the name of John Stevens, a.k.a. the future John Legend. This is his recorded debut on the song that I'm going to play. Everything is Everything from Lauryn Hill on Sound Opinions.
Extending across the atlas, I begat this Flipping it together on the dirty mattress You can't match this, rapper slash actress More powerful than two Cleopatras Bomb graffiti on the tomb of Nefertiti MCs ain't ready to take it to the Serengeti My rhymes is heavy like the mind of Sister Betty El Boogie spars with stars and constellations Then came down for a little conversation Adjacent to the king, fear no human being Roll with cherubims to Nassau Coliseum Now hear this mixture with hip-hop meets scripture Develop a negative into a positive picture Now everything, everything is everything Everything is everything from Lauren Hill, a one-and-done classic, The Miseducation of Lauren Hill. Jim, what do you got up first? I'm going to Germany, Greg, 1964, uh, the year of my birth. Gelnhausen, Germany. You have five American GIs stationed there. On the downtime on the base, they got nothing to do. So they form what is then called a beat group, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, proto-garage, uh, pre-Beatles, early, uh, you know, banging around uh, rock and roll music. The band is called The Monks. The thing that's interesting about The Monks is it's hard to tell where that early garage primitivism, uh, you know, R&B played rather ineptly and loudly by by guys who were all hopped up, you know, Mm -hmm. on testosterone and speed, and where the avant-garde experimentation begins. Because there was a lot of playing around with guitar effects pedals, uh, altered vocals, um, weird stuff. One of the guitarists played a six-string banjo that was treated primarily just as a noise generation machine, much like John Cale's viola in the Velvet Underground, but they were still several years down the road when the Monks got together and made their one and only album, Black Monk Time, 1966, March of 1966. It made no impact whatsoever upon its release, and it would be years and years later that garage archivists would discover them and crazy psych psychedelic champions like Julian Cope would loud them as geniuses, right, for this mixture of garage insanity and avant-garde experimentation. The other thing about the monks is, is they were kind of scary. Uh, they dressed in monk robes. They they took the whole costume thing so seriously that they shaved tonsures, you know, the little bald patch on the back of their heads. <laughs> and some of the Germans, who have a high tolerance for this sort of thing, thought they were blasphemous. <laughs> who are these, these Americans making this god-awful noise while dressed as monks? Uh, you'll see there's, there's melody and charm, uh, but also weirdness and disturbance in, in a track like this that I'm going to play from Black Monk Time. The song is called Boys Are Boys and Girls Are Choice.
Boys Are Boys and Girls Are Choice by the Monks from album one and one only Black Monk Time 1966. Top that, Greg Codd. I can't. I remember that when that when that was reissued like uh, 20, 25 years ago, and it blew my mind. I go, where did this come from? And and to find out that it, it was issued in 1966. 66. You know, we throw around terms like ahead of its time a yeah. lot, but that, that truly that really, was. Well, you know, the other choice would have been for this slot for me, the Shags, which are a similar <laughs> band. But, but Shags, you know, get enough attention, the monks don't. Well, here's another band that, uh, a one-and-done band that I greatly lament never having heard from again with a new studio album. That's the Laws out of the UK. They formed in the 80s and signed to a a major label deal off their demos. It took them three years and seven producers before their debut album, Self-Titled, came out in 1990. I remember talking to uh, Lee Mavers, the singer, guitarist, and main songwriter in the group shortly thereafter, and he was bitterly disappointed by that experience, Uh, the fact that they could never quite capture the sound that he had in his head and on those demos on a recording. He said the demo should have come out. Uh, I I don't understand why we had to get all these high-priced guys in the studio uh, to muck up our sound, to put that Mm. filter between us and the music. Steve Lillywhite ended up getting the uh, production credit on the record, and Steve Lillywhite's an incredibly accomplished producer, but Lee Mavers had nothing nice to say about any of the guys he worked with. But the record sounds great. It's a marvelous, marvelous record, and you get the, the perception that Lee Mavers is a little bit of a loose <laughs> screw, a little bit of a weirdo, a little bit a difficult to work with, but also a great songwriter, and he leave, left behind one landmark album. There have been other attempts to get the Laws back together again over the years. None of those has, have resulted in a new studio album. The Laws from 1990, self-titled, and a great song called There She Goes on Sound Opinions.
That is The Laws with There She Goes from their one-and-done classic, The Laws, in 1990. After a break, more one-and-done artists. Then later, we're going to review the new record from multi-genre bassist Thundercat. And Jim's going to put a quarter into the Desert Island Jukebox. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. Take off your shoes and feel the grass Lie back and let the hours pass Don't give a thought to Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. My partner is Greg Cott, and we are talking about music from artists who were one and done. One brilliant studio album, and then the band never recorded another again. It's my turn to share my second pick. And Greg, I'm going to highlight, I'm actually sneaking in two picks with this. This is a twofer, all right? Mm -hmm. I want to play something from the one and only album by the Pulsars, 1997, released on the Almo label. Uh, We knew these guys. Dave Trumpio was a wonderfully jolly producer about town, had worked with so many artists that we know and love and have interviewed, the Mekons, Handsome Family, Yum Yum. Uh, He had a hand in the Billy Bragg Wilco record, uh, My Morning Jacket, OK Go, Granddaddy, right? Trumpio was a producer. And then he decided in that weird period post uh, the alternative explosion when anybody and their grandmother could briefly (laughs) get signed to a major label. I mean, the Melvins were on a major label. You know, the Jesus Lizard, for Mm -hmm. goodness sake, the Pulsar got signed. So they were just uh, Dave singing, producing, and playing everything, and his brother Harry on drums. Um, It was this new wave revival sound, uh, synth pop, from the the very earliest 80s, we're talking before Duran Duran and all that kind of new romantic stuff, the earliest days of primitive synth pop, Dave was a great songwriter, had a wonderful ear for melody and a wonderful ear for strong hooks. Uh, no less an authority than Ira Robbins, uh, one of the deans of New Wave Rock Critics in Trouser Press. He said, this is a science fair version of Pet Sounds for the computer <laughs> age. Everybody loved this record. And then the Pulsars were never heard from again. Dave lives out on the West Coast now. He's still a, a producer. Um, the track I'm going to play, here's where the twofer comes in. One of the best songs on this album. Really, they're all wonderful. But, but for me, one of the best songs is Silicon Teens. Who were Silicon Teens? 1980, another producer, a record company head, Daniel Miller of Mute Records, puts together this fake band and puts out a record called Music for Parties, which is really primitive synth pop covers. Primitive because 
These are the earliest days of analog, of analog synthesizers and early drum machines. Uh, great 50s and 60s pop hits done a la synth pop, right? I know that's a whole lot of convoluted history, <laughs> Greg, but trust me, this song is great. The Pulsars were great. The Silicon Teens were great. Just listen and enjoy. Silicon Teens by the Pulsars, 1997 on Sound Opinions. Silicon teens play tambourines and synthesizers. Silicon teens are from England. <laughs> the pulsars. <laughs> I lo- don't you love that song? I do. Uh, the eccentricity is brilliant. Uh, Dave Trumpio is a heck of a guy. Bass player in the Mekons these days. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's true. still around. He's still around. Speaking of eccentrics, Jim, I've got one for you. A hip-hop duo by the name of Mad Villain, consisting of MF Doom and Mad Lib. Who are these guys? MF Doom, British-born MC, uh, well-known for his super-villain personas that he creates on record. He's, he's recorded as Danger Doom, Doom Starks, J.J. Doom. He's the guy that will appear <laughs> in concert with the gladiator mask yeah. on the cover of the one Mad Villain record. He's got that gladiator mask on. Um, this is a Marvel comic villain come to life. Absolutely. And uh, his, his partner on this record, Mad Lib, DJ, producer, and MC, uh, is also uh, known for his uh, other personas on record. He uh, he comes out as this Quasimodo figure on occasion, including <laughs> on this record. He's saying the villainous things that uh, that uh, Mad Lib cannot say. So, yeah. in other words, these guys are occupying uh, these new personalities uh, to create this incredibly uh, dense. Uh, journey into another planet really is the only way to describe it came out in 2004 one record mad villainy very dense elliptical lyrics the abstract uh, musical foundations as well uh, unlike anything at hip-hop at the time you're not going to get the big melodies the big r&b choruses this is one that the hip-hop aficionados 
uh, drool over. It's one of those records I can put on, and you want to listen to it beginning to end, because there's all these great two-minute songs strung together and creating an, an entire new world by themselves. Here's a track from the one and only Mad Villain record, Mad Villainy. It's called All Caps on Sound Opinions. So nasty that it's probably somewhat of a travesty having me. Then he told the people you can call me your majesty. Keep your battery charged. He know it won't stick, yo. And it's not his fault you kick slow. Should've let your trick hold, chick hold your sick glow. Plus nobody couldn't do nothing once he let the brick go. And you know I know that's a bunch of snow. The beat is so butter. Peep the slow cutter as he uttered a calm flow. Don't talk about my mom, yo. Sometimes he rhyme quick, sometimes he rhyme slow or vice versa. Whip up a slice of nice verse. Pie, hit it on the first try, villain. The worst guy, spot hot tracks like spot a pair of Shots of the scotch from out the square shot glasses. And he won't stop till he got the masses. And show him what they know not through flows of hot molasses. Do it like the robot to head spin to boogaloo. Took a few minutes to convince the average boogaloo. It's ugly, like look at you, it's a damn shame. Just remember all caps when you spell the man name. Baby doll, I bet she tried to say she gave me her all. She played ball, all bets off. The villain got the dice rig, and they say he accosted the man with the slice wig. Allegedly, the investigation is still ongoing. In this pesky nation, he got the best con flowing. The pot doubles, now they really got troubles. Madman never go like snot bubbles. That is all caps from Mad Villain. The record is called Mad Villainy. There was actually a sequel, which was a remix record, so it doesn't really count as a new studio record. Yeah. But I, I wish these these two would get together again and make another Mad Villain record. Well, Greg, you know, the remix business underscores that, that, that you know, fewer and fewer artists ever actually permanently retire anymore, right? right. So this next artist I'm going to play, uh, uh, the trio, did reconvene in 2009 to perform... Uh, at at uh, one of those All Tomorrow Parties festivals, the one that was uh, curated by Jeff Mangum of mm-hmm. Neutral Milk Hotel. Has some impressive fans, this group. The group is Young Marble Giants. But to this day, one album and one album only. Colossal Youth, released in 1980. 1980 was a very good year for early primitive experimental synthesizer music and weird minimalist pop. Uh, we're talking about a band that formed in Wales in 1978, an incredible, beautiful, crystal clear vocalist, Allison Statton, and two brothers, Philip and Stuart Moxham. When I say minimal, I mean that's that's almost overstating the case, mm-hmm. right? We're talking three note bass lines, some some barely strummed guitar, occasionally maybe a little organ, uh, all altered electronically, and these mantra-like vocals by Allison Statton. People loved her voice. Uh, One of her big fans was Courtney Love of Hole, who said she had a crush on Alison Statton. (laughs) Her husband at the time, Kurt Cobain, chimed in, yes, me too. And they arm wrestled over who would get to cover credit in the straight world. It wound up Hole 1, and Hole covered the song. Uh, Such was the roster of fans. Peter Buck of R.E.M., Magnetic Fields, uh, on and on and on. There's so little music there that these are like sketches of what would become songs, but but they're perfect in their simplicity. You'll hear what I'm talking about in this song. 
eating not a mix. I don't know what not a mix is. <laughs> we have to turn to some of our British listeners. It's only two minutes long, two minutes, four seconds to be exact, but it's perfect. Every note is perfect. Eating not a mix by Young Marble Giants on Sound Opinions. Staring at the mirror on the steamy bedroom wall, eating a note a mix. As the people are running, the Harris has to fall where she neatly wipes her lips. The reporters pick up their pads and pens as they rush to the scene. And the cameras wink on the gory views as the editors agree. Putting on her makeup, she glances at the clock. Next, she paints her nails. The train has collided, the driver didn't stop as she slips into the scales. The reporters pick up their pads and pens as they rush to the scene. And the cameras wink on the gory views as the editors agree. Looking for a cocky, she finds him in a shoe, lift the magazine from the floor. That long ago mystery has revealed another clue as she quickly shuts the door. The reporters pick up their pads and pens as they rush to the scene. And the cameras wink on the gory views how the editors agree. Yeah, Mark, I just pulled over now and it looks like it's gonna be an all night job tonight, you know. If you could send a few cars over, it would sure help a lot. And I should sit more in front of the TV tonight because I don't actually like what she can see. I'll start making a few inquiries already. Okay, that's all for now. That is Eating Not a Mix by Young Marble Giants. One album, one album only, Colossal Youth in 1980. Where are you going next, Greg? Jim, I want to play uh, another great one-and-done artist named Jeff Buckley, um, the son of an acclaimed folk soul jazz singer from the 60s and 70s, uh, Tim Buckley, who died young. Uh, Jeff Buckley himself died young. Um, his one and only studio record came out in 1994 called Grace. Uh, prior to that, um, I happened to see him at a club, a small club, actually a coffee house in Chicago with about 25 other people. And I was always struck by that performance as, to me, one of those ideal moments where you catch an artist just as he is, his public persona is becoming fully formed. And you realize, I wish this artist could capture this moment on a recording at some point in his mm. career. I'm sure that Buckley never quite got there in his own head. I don't think he ever quite got there. Grace was his attempt, though, to capture what was a part of that music that night. Um, his range of tastes... You know, everything from centuries-old hymns to Led Zeppelin to Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah. He did an amazing version of that song uh, that night and also on this record. He had wide-ranging tastes in music, jazz, blues, metal. Uh, he wanted to bring it all together. And I think he did it best when he was performing in a more, more stripped-down kind of setting. Um, he went on to try and attempt a second record called Sketches for My Sweetheart, The Drunk. This was the <laughs> working title. Uh, then he drowned, tragically, uh, in, in the Mississippi River while recording in Memphis, um, age 30. 
this the record was never completed. Of course, the record company puts it out. Yeah, there's a um, lot of Jeff Buckley music out there's there. There's way more Jeff Buckley music than we can count at this point. So much posthumous uh, music. Having talked to Buckley a few times, I knew I knew that he was a perfectionist. He probably would not have approved of these recordings coming out because he didn't think they were finished. So the one proper document we have of him in the studio is Grace. Here's a track from it. It's called Lilac Wine. It's actually a cover. He, um, this is a song that uh, was originally written in, in the 1950s. It was a show tune. It was covered by everyone from, from Eartha Kitt to later on, even our friend Miley Cyrus recorded a version of this song. Wow. Um, but he was enamored with the Nina Simone version uh, from 1966. He was a big Nina Simone fan, and uh, he loved her version of it. This is his interpretation of Lilac Wine as performed by Nina Simone. This is from Jeff Buckley's one and only studio record, Grace, on Sound Opinions. I lost myself on a cool, damp night I gave myself in that misty light Was hypnotized by a strange delight Under a lilac tree I made wine from the lilac tree Put my heart in its recipe Makes me see what I want to see And be what I want to be When I think more than I want to think I do things I never should do I drink much more than I ought to drink because it brings me back you Buckley with Lilac Wine from Grace, One and Done. Jim, what do you got next? Greg, uh, this next group was a super group of sorts. Not surprising, they only lasted one album. Uh, that happens a lot, you know. Big egos come together, big talents. Uh, but it didn't seem that way. When we had Wild Flag on our show back in 2011, it seemed like this was an ideal collaboration of four equally talented musicians, uh, two songwriters leading the group. Carrie Brownstein, of course, uh, best known for Sleater Kinney and now for comedy Portlandia. Mary Timoney, a lesser-known figure, but someone I've been a huge fan of in her many incarnations, I guess for 30 years now. One of the bands people may have heard of is Helium. They're reuniting. 
Um, the fact that Timoney and Brownstein were coming together in Wild Flag uh, was was exciting to both of us. You're the big Brownstein fan. I'm a, a, a Timoney super fan. We both think Janet Weiss is one of the best drummers ever. Uh, and they certainly were wonderful when they performed on Sound Opinions. And the album, self-titled Wild Flag, uh, just is a great record, right? It's about the joy of coming together and making music. And then... They were gone. <laughs> mm-hmm. I really thought this was a band that had a lot more life in it. You listen and, and tell us what you think. Something Came Over Me by Wild Flag uh, from the one and only 2011 album on Sound Opinions. Something's coming over me. Something came over me, wrapping up our discussion of bands that were one and done. Now we want to hear from you. Do you have a one and done artist that you think fits the bill? Call 888-859-1800 and leave us a message or connect with us on Facebook or Twitter. Coming up, we'll review the new album by Thundercat, vaguely an alternative hip-hop genre, Greg. And then I'll take a trip to the Desert Island Jukebox where I'll play a different kind of alternative rap music. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX.
Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott with Jim DeRigatis, and you're hearing a track called Uh-Uh from the new Thundercat album, Drunk, his third studio album. Thundercat, a.k.a. Stephen Bruner, a Los Angeles-based uh, multi-instrumentalist um, and singer who has worked primarily as a studio session musician for the last decade or so. He was also a member in the uh, Los Angeles metal slash thrash band Suicidal Tendencies, <laughs> which is really great because you consider the rest of his pedigree, it's it's very R&B and hip-hop oriented, but he has all these aspects to his music that's really incredible. He was a key member of Erica Badu's studio band on the 2008 album New America. He's been a close collaborator with the great producer and DJ Flying Lotus. He has also worked with artists like... Uh, the great jazz saxophonist Kamasi Washington and was a key member of Kendrick Lamar's album uh, To Pimp a Butterfly, that album of the year candidate uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, Lamar said that in many ways uh, Stephen Bruner, a.k.a. Thundercat, was the musical linchpin behind that entire very eclectic project. Meanwhile, Thundercat has been releasing his own studio albums. Uh, I think it's fair to say that Drunk uh, is the one getting the most attention. Um, so we're going to play a track from it, and then we're going to review it. Here's Jamil's Space Ride from Thundercat from the new album Drunk on Sound Opinions. I want to go right. I'm safe on my block, except for the cops. Jamil's Space Ride from Thundercat album number three, the aptly titled Drunk. Greg, I despise this record. (laughs) This record nearly caused me to drive off the road. And actually, I made the mistake of listening to it many times, and it drove me to distraction and serious aggravation. I think I got a skin rash. This record is all of the things I hate about fusion music or particularly virtuosic and self-conscious art rock. Um, What am I talking about? I'm talking about this is like Primus, Zappa, Weather Report, Dirty Projectors, all rolled up into one. (laughs) The best thing you can say about Thundercat is that many of these songs are two minutes or under. So at least it's over quickly. But then so is a root canal if your dentist is good. Um, You know, the, the, the... uh, pointless busyness of the music. I, you know, the guy's credits as a session musician are excellent, but he clearly has no taste whatsoever. He tries to cram every idea, including the bad ones, into one song as every idea possible. You avoided playing the single to introduce this, which is called Show You the Way, featuring those giants of popular music, Michael McDonald and Kenny Loggins. Your 
Look, there's no excuse, no amount of kitsch or camp to bring those two out of mothballs. I just, you know, there's nothing good about this record, even when he tries to to share with us something deep and profound. Uh, talking about the death of of a musician friend, talking about police brutality that is then almost immediately undercut with the gorgeous sounds of farting, snoring, and meowing cats. I think I left my wallet at the club. I feel violent toward you just for making me listen to this record. <laughs> it is obviously a trash it for me. Well, this uh, gets me very excited that uh, you are so ticked off about this record. Because I'm, I'm leaving right now. I, I think the fact that it is polarizing is exactly the point. Um, he is not uh, catering to uh, placid mainstream taste at all. He's not trying to make a homogenous record. I admit it's bewildering. I mean, when you pack 23 songs and snippets into 51 minutes, it's going to be a very schizophrenic listening experience. You know, my tolerance for Michael McDonald and Kenny Loggins is not very high, and I admit that track is kind of a joke in some ways, but he apparently has a great deal of affection for these guys. In fact, he has a great deal of affection as you noted, uh, for for 70s music in general, uh, everything from that era, jazz fusion, there was a lot of references to earth, wind, and fire, some of those uplifting anthems that they were writing uh, back in the day. And yet, there's also this kind of weird introspection here. This, uh, you know, he was going on buying sprees for, you know, Japanese anime in in in, in Tokyo, and 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 yes, also the this, repeated chorus about combing my hair right. and doing other things I and, can't mention. And, and these are sort of like little self empowerment kind of uh, bromides that he's throwing in here, <laughs> coming off a couple of albums which were heavily. Uh, indebted to the loss of his his friends and 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 people close to him, you still see this mourning uh, being reflected in the in the latter part of this record, where the real personal introspective aspect of it really comes clear to me. There's a lot going on here. He's giddy, and other times he's morose, and as he says, drunk. Um, so you you're getting this very schizophrenic personality, uh, almost offering a sort of an audio verite style presentation of his life in the you last year. You know who year. else does that and who loves fart sounds on the keyboard? <laughs> Gene from Bob's Burgers. And I would rather hear an album by Gene from Bob's Burgers than Thundercat. It's 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 kind of an insane record, and it's all over the map. But it, there's also virtuosity. There's also personality here. I would not say to people, go out and buy this record. I would say try it. Uh, but for me, in parts, it works fantastically well, and I look forward to more music from Thundercat. I tell you, little buddy, this whole island is bewitched. Just to cast away, lost the sea. You remember, we were shipwrecked together. Jim, it's almost spring. It's time to jump in the water, take a swim out to the desert island, pop a quarter in the desert island jukebox, and play a song you cannot live without. What's it going to be? Yeah, I don't know if it's almost spring yet. You know, it was the polar plunge in (laughs) Chicago a week ago where people jump into Lake Michigan, and it was 10 degrees that morning. Uh, Greg, uh, just because I despise Thundercat does not mean I despise what was once called, uh, derisively mostly, alternative hip-hop. I was thinking back of, of, of... 
bands that were really important, uh, musical collaboratives that were really important to both you and me that we somehow have never highlighted on Sound Opinions. And can you believe we have never played Arrested Development? Wow. Now, we were both huge fans of this group, led by uh, a brilliant uh, community activist and rapper named Speech out of Milwaukee. Uh, the group actually came together in Atlanta when he and several other members were in college. 1988, I think, is when they came together. Uh, the debut album, Three Years, Five Months, and Two Days in the Life of, uh, followed in 1992. It was that year's number one album in the uh, Village Voice Pairs and Job Critics poll. Critics loved this group. So did the Grammys. They got a, a boatload of Grammys that year. Uh, put out a second album that was almost as strong, I thought, Zingala Mundi, uh, but it didn't sell. And nobody's thought of Arrested Development mm, ever yeah, since. True. It's sort of sad. They have 10 albums since that time. Uh, I guess they never just captured that lightning in a bottle the way they did the first time. There were several things going on. Speech, uh, you know, had had a, a, was surrounded by fellow creative artists from all sorts of different places. There was a vocalist named uh, Aerly Tyree uh, who had this wonderful voice, was working with him. Uh, his main partner uh, was uh, his, his best friend at the time, Headliner. Um, there was a uh, 70-something uh, spiritual leader as a member of the band, Baba Oje. Mm -hmm. And he was there just to kind of say poetry and to take make the young ones, uh, you know, connected with the tradition of African-American struggle. Uh, positivity in the politics, wonderful melody, this kind of languid uh, vibe of the South, uh, even though they were recording uh, up north. Uh, you'll hear it all in the single that really set the world on fire. It's called Tennessee by Arrested Development on Sound Opinion. Lord, I've really been real stressed down and out.
Tennessee by Arrested Development, my desert island jukebox pick. And Greg, next week on the show, we're uh, speaking of desert islands. What are we doing? We're going to the desert island again to play tracks we cannot live without. But this time we're letting the artists, the guests who have been on Sound Opinions, make their selections. A guest desert island jukebox show. As always, Sound Opinions was produced by Brendan Banaszak, Evan Chung, Alex Claiborne, and Iona Contreras. I look at my telephone book, I look at my telephone book, I can't stand away. Look, I hate to think of it. Took me down to a burning rage. I wrote your name on every page. You don't return my calls. You don't return my calls. You don't return my calls. On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So give us a call on our hotline, 888-859-1800. You don't return my calls. New messages. Caldwell here from Nashville, Tennessee, calling you guys about your one-and-done episode. Yeah, no, the first thing that always pops on my mind for that is, you know, Baby Huey and the Babysitters. Um, I think it's just the Baby Huey story. Having a hard time in this crazy town. Having a hard time. There's no love to be found. Having this crazy town Having a hard time There's no love to be found I mean, that album is perfection from top to bottom. Have a good one. Bye. Hi, this is Mark calling from Aurora, Illinois. The best one-hit wonder album that I can think of is Blind Faith by Blind Faith. Come down off your throne and leave your body alone. Somebody must change. You are the reason I've been waiting so long. Somebody holds a key. Well, I great album. There are so many classic tracks on there, just one after another. And uh, that's really a group that I certainly would have loved to have seen if I'd had the opportunity. I think I was born about 20 years too late, but I think that the Blind Faith album really uh, encapsulated the best of classic rock and roll. Thanks, guys. My name is Gwen, and I'm calling from St. Joseph, Michigan. And I'm calling um, about the one-hit wonders, and I'd like to recommend Willis Allen Ramsey's album from 1972. It's a self-titled album, and it is so good. Give it a listen. Let me know what you think. Okay, bye. Spider John is my name, friends. I'm in between fates and sure would be blind. I could share your company. I'm on my way to nowhere I've been running from my pain Running from the things I used to be Hey guys, my name's Adam, calling from Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. Uh, I just heard you announce uh, the One and Done show, and it struck a nerve because uh, 
for a couple decades now, I've been waiting for the next Lone Justice record, the first album, which is just a great country punk rock album. There's nothing like it. Maria McKee, who sort of later went on to sort of middling success, uh, was just on fire. It was just a killer band and, uh, you know, killer set of songs. And, and after that, most of the band left. And, and the second album really wasn't even Lone Justice. It was, you know, a Jimmy Iovine, Steve Van Zandt studio pasteurization of the sound. So it was just terrible. You make my dreams so Share your opinions on Sound Opinions. Call 888-859-1800. We'll be back next week on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX.